Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And we do remember on this All Saints Day that Christ has risen and we shall also arise. Today we focus on our gospel reading today from Matthew chapter 5, specifically what is called the Beatitudes. And I'd like you to to join with me in reading one particular verse here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Let's read this together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As I said, these words are a part of the Beatitudes, as we call them. Blessing statements from Jesus, from Matthew's Gospel. We've probably heard the Beatitudes countless times in our lives. And yet each time we hear them, it gives us yet another chance to consider them even more deeply than before. And as we hear them on this All Saints Day in particular, we have yet another opportunity to do just that. In the Beatitudes, Jesus makes a number of statements about who is blessed in his kingdom. And again, I'd like us to focus on verse 6 today, the verse that we just read together, about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is Jesus saying there? Well, I don't know about you, but for the longest time, whenever I heard Jesus talk about people who hungered and thirsted for righteousness, the people that I have in my mind is a person who is so passionate so zealous for God's good works that they are constantly gobbling up righteousness at every turn, like a religious Pac-Man, so to speak, a compulsive eater and drinker of good deeds, or the picture in our mind, a super Christian, like a Mother Teresa type of person. Someone, I don't know, who who reads their Bible constantly each day, prays for hours each day. Someone who's just always volunteering to to help others with their time. Someone who gives their money away, who's so generous. Someone who has a perfect family, a perfect job, a perfect life, that they're always on fire for God. Of course, having that image in our mind, that can lead to some discouraging reflections as a Christian. Primarily because this isn't a realistic picture of maybe anyone we actually know, let alone ourselves. But even conceding that, even conceding that that might not be a realistic expectation for us, it still doesn't take us very long to realize that none of us are as committed to a godly sense of righteousness as we should be. After all, do any of us have a love for God that is so on fire that we are certain that we will never fear, love, or trust in anything in this world more than him? Or do any of us have such a zealous love for our neighbors, particularly the people who are overlooked or often ignored in this world, that we can say that we love and serve them at least as much of, as much as, if not more than, ourselves? You know as well as I do that today, before the sun goes down, which now is an hour earlier, That I will certainly let a loveless word slip out of my mouth or an inappropriate or unkind thought take root in my mind or I will fail to act in such a way that makes it obvious that my sense of righteousness is not aligned with God's sense of righteousness. And so will you because we are all sinners. So what do we do? Well, we have a couple options. 
We can choose to double down on trying harder or trying to do better or, or maybe, maybe even making some additional rules for ourselves, some righteous sounding rules in an attempt to enforce our own righteousness. We could do that. Many people have in history. It's called legalism. A lot of Christians, unfortunately, turn themselves into legalists. I'll just say this right now. Legalism doesn't work. Because with legalism, you can end up in either one of two places. Either you convince yourself, because you're following a set of man-made rules, that you are doing a good enough job, and so therefore you think you're fairly righteous, when in fact you're not. Or you just realize that you're doing no better as a legalist with all your rules than you were doing before. It's just now you have a lot more rules and laws to follow. And so you see yourself falling deeper and deeper behind. You're falling short. You're driven further and further into despair because of your lack of righteousness. So legalism obviously is not the answer. A second option in terms of dealing with this righteousness problem is that you can try to change the meaning of the word righteousness. In other words, if I know that I'm failing in keeping a godly sense of righteousness, well, then I could just choose to pursue a different kind of righteousness, perhaps one that's defined by the world. And you know, it's interesting. Our world is very concerned with its own set of righteousness. You wouldn't think that because our society is very obviously getting more and more secular, And yet, people in this world are still very concerned with pursuing their own sense of righteousness with a religious-like fervor. Whether it's a company, or a school, or an individual, there's always a standard of who is and who isn't righteous in their eyes. The problem with that standard is that it's constantly changing. It comes and goes and drifts in the winds of culture. Today, the, the, the world's righteousness has something to do with wokeism, that is, whoever is the most ideologically progressive or inclusive or celebratory of certain things. And make no mistake, in this world, righteousness is a competition. You want to look more righteous on your website, on your social media, on your bumper stickers, more righteous than the next person. Now, people don't really want to talk about it or have any kind of nuanced discussion about it. They just want you to know how righteous they are. And if you don't agree with them, well, then you're the problem. But again, it's all in an effort to achieve, to feel, to appear righteous. But that kind of righteousness has nothing to do with godly righteousness. And it leaves you, interestingly enough, in the same place as Christian legalism does. You're either deluding yourself that you're doing a good enough job or you become so disillusioned with your lack of righteousness that you don't know where else to turn. And so no matter where you're coming from, whether as a Christian or not, we all hear Jesus' words today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we wonder, how? How can I possibly be like that? Well, as I said earlier, All Saints Day is a day we can spend some time considering the Beatitudes a little more deeply. And with this Beatitude in particular, we need to take careful note of the words that Jesus chooses to use so that we can better understand it. 
After all, what words do Jesus, does Jesus use? Well, he uses the word hunger. He uses the word thirst. Now think about that. To be hungry or to be thirsty is to recognize that you are not full, but rather empty. I only hunger when I know my stomach is empty. I only thirst when I know that I am parched. Hungering and thirsting are not statements of being satisfied, but rather statements of being in great need. Hunger and thirst are your body's alarm system that lets you know something is missing. It's like the low fuel light on your dashboard. They are groaning acknowledgments that we are missing something that is desperately important, like food and drink. And unless I get them soon, I will perish. So when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus is not saying you have righteousness, but rather the opposite. He's saying you don't have righteousness. It's a recognition that we don't have righteousness in and of ourselves, but that we know that we need it. And what's more, we can't achieve it on our own. Because of my sinful nature and the sin I commit every single day, I can't fill up my righteous, the, the tank with my righteous deeds that I try to do. I am destined on my own to have that low fuel light on constantly. But listen carefully to what Jesus says. Jesus says that the person who realizes that they are running on empty condemnably empty, so empty that they can do nothing else except pull off into an eternity separated from God and his righteousness, it's that very person who Jesus promises will be satisfied. How do we do that? Well, it's certainly not because we finally somehow get our act together. We heard that last week on Reformation Day from from Romans chapter 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And it's also not because Jesus is going to change the definition of righteousness for us. No, God is holy. And if he were to lower his standard of righteousness, he would cease to be holy. So again, how do unrighteous people become righteous? Well, the answer, of course, is Jesus. We heard this last week, too, the very next verses from Romans 3. It says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for all who believe in Jesus. In our epistle reading today, it says this, everyone who thus hopes in Christ, everyone who hopes in Christ will purify himself as Jesus is pure. And then we heard in John's vision in our reading from Revelation today that John sees the great multitude that no one could number streaming into heaven from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And John is asked, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And the answer is immediately provided. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John saw all the saints from all time, from all places. 
And by saints, we don't mean people who somehow found a way to achieve their own righteousness. No, they are the ones whose righteousness comes from Jesus, who washed their robes in his blood, who were forgiven all of their unrighteousness, not because of what they did, but because of what Jesus did for them at the cross and at the empty tomb. Jesus earned righteousness by his perfect life, by his perfect death, by his perfect resurrection. And then Jesus chose to give that righteousness to us, to those who believe in him. It's incredible to think about, you know, that God allowed John to see everyone who trusts in Jesus. So just think about that. John saw you in that crowd. You are one of the many who has been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. You hunger and thirst for righteousness because you realize that you don't have it in and of yourself. But you have been shown by faith the only place you need to look. You look to Jesus, and he is the one who satisfies you. It's not an if, and, or maybe. Jesus promises in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you realize that you aren't righteous and your tank is empty because Jesus says, I will make you righteous. You will be satisfied for eternity because of what I have done for you. All Saints Day is a great reminder that every time that we come to this table, we come as ones who have been made saints, have been made righteous and worthy because of him. I don't know about you, but when I come to the Lord's table, too often I fall into the trap of thinking, well, I've really done poorly with my righteous deeds lately. I can't help but feel how unrighteous I truly am, and I wonder, should I even be here? And while it's good for us, of course, to reflect upon our sin and to repent of it and, and to remain truthful about our nature so that we might ask for God's forgiveness, that's not where God intends to leave us. Because it's precisely when we come to his table, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that Jesus promises to give us what we lack. Martin Luther writes in his small catechism the words that the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, along with our bodily eating and drinking, those are the main things in this sacrament. And whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. In other words, this table isn't for people who have it all put together. This table is for those that know they need Jesus. And Jesus meets us here as the unrighteous sinners that we are, and he reminds each and every one of us that we are his saints. He reminds you that you are part of this communion of saints. Today is the day that many of us are remembering loved ones who have gone before us in the faith. But simply because they've died, it doesn't mean they are lost. You know, people say that we lost so-and-so. They're not lost. We haven't lost them. God certainly hasn't lost them. In fact, when we confess, as we do in the Apostles' Creed, the communion of the saints, 
we remember that we are still connected with our loved ones who have gone before us in the faith because with them, we are all part of the body of Christ. Many churches, maybe you've attended one like this, have a half-circle communion rail. And that's a reminder, particularly when we are receiving Holy Communion, there is the other side of the rail that is completed, that is, is there all, truly in heaven. And we are communing with them as we approach his table. Our chairs in this sanctuary are also meant to reflect that posture, that we are not just showing up here on a Sunday as individuals, but that we are part of the body of Christ and we are connected with one another through him. But whether we receive Holy Communion in that shape or not, the reality is the same. Whether we live as part of the church militant here on earth or the church triumphant there in heaven, we are all connected in Jesus Christ. And what's more, we are all made righteous. We are made saints through him and him alone. The Beatitudes are a beautiful thing. It's Jesus fairly early on in his ministry telling the crowds and telling us, who it is that is welcomed in his kingdom, who it is that he intends to bless. And it's the exact opposite of what we might otherwise think. Listen to who he says are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, who lack righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted, who are reviled, who have all kinds of evil uttered against them on my account. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. We rejoice and are glad, not because of us, not because of how well our lives are going in this world, not because of what we do. No, we are blessed because of Jesus. And that's not something that goes away or fades over time. It's a gift of forgiveness, a gift of righteousness, a gift of eternal life that Jesus gives us, his saints, and that we are able to enjoy that gift forever. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. At this time, uh, we have the joyful opportunity to confess together our faith. And